Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been warned. movie that we've seen Jen and what's so great about it well the last movie that we watched was split second and let me tell you audience this movie took us on an unexpected roller coaster of delight because kind of going in you don't expect much I mean it just kind of looks like a low-rent Blade Runner yeah the tagline is alien meets Blade Runner or something similar. Yes, but the tagline so does not do it justice no it doesn't it is all in the execution that elevates it above just sort of that elevator pitch of like oh it's like two popular franchises you know yeah because i know that when i hear a tagline like blade runner meets alien i'm picturing a really different film i'm picturing either well i'm picturing a marriage of horror in space Mm -hmm. with an existential examination of what it means to be human right and this movie is neither of them. No, those. but it's awesome. But yeah, but like not to diminish it at all. No. Because it isn't uh it isn't either of those things, but like it's it's greater than the sum of its parts. Because if you look at it, it's like four completely different movies. It's sort of like a, a future noir um buddy cop horror movie like from space. But you put that together, and just like the result of it is again, like it's it, it's greater than some of its parts because it is like when you're we're introduced to the Rucker Howard character. I mean, it's in the future in like a nightclub, and there's like this topless girl in S and M gear dancing, and there's a violent murder in like the ladies' restroom where like a woman has like her heart ripped out and mm-hmm. eaten. And, but, like, Ricker Howard's character is just, you know, it's kind of like this hard-bitten, lone wolf, loose cannon detective. And to describe it, you're like, oh, another one of those. Like, yeah. oh, it's it's a police procedural, or it's, it's a police thriller. Sci-fi police a, procedural yeah, is what your impression is from those first few scenes. Um, and it's definitely a credit to the movie that it can take such a hard left tonal shift and bring the audience with it, because we were definitely along for the ride on this one. Yeah. Because uh, what made it stand out for me was that um, along with the main character's arc, there's this very gradual tonal shift from police horror procedural yeah. to a kind of gore comedy. But it's it's such an organic tonal shift, it is. I feel. And the reason for that is because if you're taking all these tropes, you can come up with a very mediocre, very bland, very derivative movie where it can just be like, oh, he's like a hard-drinking cop and like he's got some like awkward uh, sort of woman in his past. And, you know, then there's like the straight-laced, like, by-the-book guy and like he's a total yeah. milk toast and like the two of them butt heads and you're like... That sounds boring. But yeah, mismatch, partner, femme fatale. Yeah. It's very it's very well 
trodden ground at this point. Oh, yeah, but it's like, but it's all these tropes together, but they become greater than the sum of their parts. Um, before we get too far ahead of ourselves... Um, yeah, let's talk about the story. Yeah, the basic premise is it's set in London 2008. Um, so it's a historical piece. <laughs> it takes place in London 2008, um, but not, not the London of a few years ago. It's a London which has been flooded by global climate change. Um, skies is dark because it's so fucking polluted. Yeah, it's future noir, yes. except for the part about it being in the past and accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's a it's, movie from 1992 that's prescient about the impending problems of climate change. Yeah, it's kind of topical, which is scary. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't seem, like, ridiculous in any way. Yeah, and like, that's... Yeah, I get it. And I guess this is where they... You know, it's almost like the people who came up with the tagline only watched, like, the first 15, 20 minutes of the film. Yeah, they watched it, like, on Fast Forward or something. Yeah, because, um, you know, the setting is similar to Blade Runner in that Blade Runner is set in 2015 L.A., where, you yeah. know, there's constant rain because the climate is so fucked up. It's dark all the time. Yeah. Uh, similar sort of thing. Um... The main character is played by Rucker Hauer. He plays a detective named Harley Stone, who is... Harley, like Harley Davidson. Yes. He's your typical loose cannon detective. Chews cigars, lives on yeah. caffeine and nicotine. Does not give a fuck. Is really disrespectful to his commanding officer. Yeah, which you'll see in the trailer, too. Yeah. Um, and they saddle him with a, this straight-laced partner, and he just, like, he spends, like, probably the first half of the movie just, like, fucking with the guy, basically. Like, tying his shoelaces together, and, like, he's like, oh, let me borrow your keys. And he's like, oh, where are we going? He's like, you're not going anywhere. And he just drives off with his keys. <laughs> he goes to a nightclub where a horrible murder takes place. Right. Um, a woman is found with her heart ripped out of her chest. Now you're watching this film and you're like, oh my god, here's the alien part. Here's the alien part marrying with the Blade Runner part. So I was expecting exactly what the tagline was selling, but once the film introduces his partner, played by Neil Duncan, as uh, Dick Durkin, the straight-laced, Oxford-educated, yes. occult astrology and other arcane knowledge expert... Yeah. Um, that's when the movie kind of starts to take off. Um, yeah, because, I mean, that character really steals the show. Yeah, he does. Uh, Duncan is very good in the role. And uh, he and Riker Hauer have incredible chemistry. They're really yeah. good together. They play off each other really well. The Kim Cattrall character, she doesn't she doesn't play a femme fatale type. She plays um, uh, either Riker Hauer's girlfriend or ex-girlfriend. They clearly have a history together. She's very good in the movie. And the two of them are good together as well. Yeah, their their relationship feels lived in. Much as the the production design is very good, and the move the world of the movie itself feels very lived in. Yeah, because there are so many things about it that like they could feel fake or they could feel gimmicky. But I mean, just as like the relationship feels natural between them, and as much as the like the environment feels natural, where it's it's a lot of subtleties. That are just sort of things that are played just the way they are, where it's, it's, there's the climate change problem and the flooded London, and there's, like, most of the scenes take place where, 
you know, the streets are flooded. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, you know, in like a foot of water, but it's the sort of thing that isn't played up in any way. It's just, this is just sort of the background texture of this world we live in. Yeah, and it's nice because it feels very organic. Um, a problem that I have had with a lot of, um, mainly period films, mm-hmm. historical dramas, but also a lot of times with science fiction, is that the setting does not feel organic. Um, it feels very costumey. The sets feel like sets. Right. Um, this movie definitely feels like this is a world that exists. It wasn't. It doesn't feel like something that you saw on a soundstage. Um, yeah. And Rucker I'm... Howard's character lives in an absolute filth hole of an apartment, which is wonderful. He literally rooms with pigeons. Or yeah, or vice versa. Yeah. They seem to have run of the place more than he does. Um, once the story gets rolling and the two main characters start pursuing the killer, mm-hmm. that's when the real strength of the film becomes clear. Because these are two very... I, I thought the characters were very well written, because they're very well defined. Yeah. Um, they definitely they definitely each have an arc. Yeah, and I mean, and the way that um, Rooker Howard's character is written, too, is, and I mean, if we can get into more of like the the texture of those characters i mean if you want to under if you want to imagine just sort of the most like arch loose canon and i mean i don't mean like in a sort of like uh three stooges kind of uh lethal weapon way but in like he's playing it straight but he's playing it to the rafters where it's like he has a filthy apartment with the pigeons i mean he he you know is always he lights a cigar with a blowtorch yeah. Which he just, and then the scene where he uses it, he just kind of like chucks it in the back of his car, just doesn't give a fuck. And, and like how he, it, it's played straight, but it's just so, so odd is like when he fills up his cup of coffee, he fills it first with like a quarter of the way full of sugar and then he tops it off with coffee. <laughs> and even too, like just little ways that he just shows his, you know, contempt for the, the work environment mm-hmm. where, you know, he's got his coffee. He's like, oh, can I borrow your pen? And he stirs his coffee with the guy's pen. It's like, this is a guy who's completely run out of fucks to give. Yes, the filmmakers are definitely having a lot of fun with that trope. Yes, um, it's fun, but not in it, but not in a dismissive way. Yeah, and the um, the movie kind of shows its hand slowly, where it's, it's revealed that the filmmakers have this obvious sense of humor. Yeah. And that was kind of the left turn on the roller coaster. Yeah. For us. And, and it's not just... I think that's the thing that's so watchable about it is it isn't just the left turn on the tone, but then the tone is changing while the story is changing, and you're starting to realize what they're on the trail of. Yes. Like that scene where it's the two of them chasing like the, the killer to this apartment, and it's a fucking monster. Yes. With a, like a machine gun. <laughs> And again, it's a, it's like this movie is of four different movies that have just been like Frankenstein together, and it fucking works. Yes, because the 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 monster with a gun blows away the straight laced partner, like shoots him out of a window, and then that's the sort of thing where it's like, oh, I guess that character we really liked is dead now, but like a scene goes by and he shows up again, and he's like, haven't you ever heard of a bulletproof vest? And you're like. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah, I guess that's probably what it was. Oh, it's this kind of a movie. Yeah. And that kind of, and and that calls to mind for me 
Uh, if you remember the very ending of Hudson Hawk, after the big final battle, and Daniello is in the um, the Mayflower's limousine, was just like this tricked out limo, and it goes off a cliff and bursts into flames. And like, oh, he's dead. But then the next day, he shows up riding on a donkey, and he's like, "How are you alive?" It's like, well, you know, it's a, it's got all the state of the art safety features. And then you know, Hudson Hawk is like, "Yeah, yeah, that's probably what happened." <laughs> And it's the sort of thing that's like, after everything else you've seen, you're like, yeah, I'm on board with this. That's probably what happened. Bulletproof vest? Sure. Let's go along for the ride at this point. Because we already fought a monster with a machine gun. What? A, why is a bulletproof vest so ridiculous now? Yeah, this movie's very much of a, of a piece with... Hudson Hawk is a good example. Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Another example great film which um buckaroo bonsai buckaroo bonsai now these are all movies where uh hudson hawk had a little bit more of a checkered history but these <clears throat> movies this were one? cult hits that came out and flopped i think because people didn't know quite how to take them well yeah, it is because it's more than one thing is it an action or a comedy like is it a horror movie and yeah is it blade runner with alien it's like only on the surface yeah but again it's like it's all in the telling of it yeah and that's that's where the real magic happens it's really the kind of movie that if if you laugh your ass off at evil dead 2 this is definitely your kind of movie yeah and yeah and so and just like big trail in little china or um buckaroo bonsai or hudson hawk it has like it has sort of over the top um but grounded nature to it i would say because there's a point and, and again after that scene of where you know the cop gets blown away and then he comes out like bulletproof fast of course um and but he's also flipped out because it's a it's there there are two cops and you realize just that's when the movie i feel takes a real turn because it's like we're two cops and we're fighting a demon like we're fighting like it isn't even just a killer yeah, and it starts off something uh it starts off so like small and then just gets bigger and bigger till like and then that's like when they're going to the police station's armory mm -hmm. to get the appropriate kind of ordinance to fight a fucking demon yeah and they they pick out these guns that are like about five feet long yeah they they pick out a pair of mini guns yeah and and it's true because in that situation it's like well what would you choose to fight like the devil with and that's when the movie becomes like they're going to like minigun the devil in half. As you do. And, then, and it's like, yeah, why not? At this point, yeah, that's probably what's gonna happen. Now initially I had thought that perhaps this movie was maybe not marketed well. Oh definitely. Although how can you even describe this? Yeah, um we watched the trailer online and you know, I have to say that the trailer actually kind of fit the tone of the film. Um, whoever cut it together seemed to understand that the movie had a definite sense of humor about itself. Yeah, because it's it's because they could have they could have potentially cut it like some kind of hard edged Rucker House starring sci fi horror thriller. Yeah, which is it, which does it a disservice. That's an that's a gross oversimplification. <laughs> but yeah. the tra the trailer definitely you can you can catch the trailer on YouTube. It definitely reflects the kind of um, left center sense of humor of the film. Yeah. But I could definitely see people going to this movie and some people walking in going, what the fuck? But, I mean, you could just as easily see people not getting 
Big Trail in Little China or Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, and um, I looked it, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and um, you know, in the section about it, the movie's critical reception, it said the movie garnered a lot of criticism. My reaction was, yeah, garnered a lot of criticism from no fun assholes. <laughs> <laughs> because I can't remember the last time I had this much fun watching a movie. Yeah. I had a blast watching this movie. And, yeah, and it really is, it's, I mean, it could be mediocre and forgettable by just being, you know, more or less a low-rent Blade Runner. And it yes. does have, like, the structure of it seems kind of like Blade Runner. Like, it's, you know, he gets, you know, called in and, you know, has troll with his, you know, boss and... You know, he has his femme fatale over and he, you know, falls asleep in his dingy apartment and there's scenes at a nightclub and, you know, and, and sort of like things that that call to mind Blade Runner. But again, like, it's working from such a, a disadvantage in terms of, like, being Blade Runner or being alien, but it goes off, like, off into left field and that's, like, that's where its real strength lies is because it isn't just... A copycat Blade Runner. It has its own tone. It has its own sensibilities, and it yes. has its own humor. Yeah, it's. A, I feel like this movie was made by people who love the sci-fi and horror genres and wanted to make movies within within that genre. But they're definitely able to kind of laugh at the tropes. Yeah, it's like genres. yeah, it's like you can't if if you can't make like a huge movie, you may as well at least have fun doing it, and that's clearly what it looked like was the case so jen how did you see this movie well i'm glad you asked that question <laughs> uh it's not on netflix um i is it on youtube yes it is on youtube <laughs> that's good at least it's getting some airplay um because the way i saw it um i saw a copy ripped from a pal dvd yeah uh, so obviously a European copy. I get the impression this one's a little bit hard to find. I'm a little surprised that I haven't heard of this one, um, because I'm not I'm not an encyclopedia of cult film, but you know I've yeah. It's where this has slipped completely under the radar. Yeah, because this one I hadn't even heard of it. Yeah, I hadn't heard anyone talk about it. Uh, you know, none of my um, you know schlock and B movie and cult film. Ho- friends had said oh my god you have to see this movie let me give you an example which kind of encapsulates why this movie's so fucking great if we're gonna skip right to the end how'd you know well because (laughs) it has a great scene at the end and i mean they're hunting down this demon and there's a great like scary moment where he chases it into a subway car and there's darkness there and you don't see it and he turns around and the fucking creature comes up behind him and you're like yeah yeah but the way that the way that the hero finishes off the monster um you know the theme of hearts ripped out is repeated he but he doesn't just finish off the monster by ripping its heart out of its fucking chest right pulls out the heart holds this still beating mass yeah in his hands oozing acid and whatever pulls out his gun and shoots the fucking heart in his hand. Like, that's the kind of movie this is. Yeah, and if, you know, if that's not your cup of tea, that's fine. I understand some people like their horror to be, you know, fairly straight-laced. Some people like, you know, they, they, don't, they don't like to mix their genres with humor. But you're fucking wrong, because this movie is awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it takes these, 
it, it takes what sounds like a boring, just tired cliches of future noir and just cranks them up to 11. And, yes. it's, and the movie is all the better for it. I mean, when the movie becomes, we're going to machine gun the devil in half. Yeah. Like, how can you not be on board with that? Yeah, and I mean, it's got everything. It's got fucking demonic sigils carved in the chest. It's got blood everywhere. Yeah, and that's, again, like, that's that sort of, like, subtle but organic tonal shift is in the beginning. Like, you know, one gets her heart ripped out and eaten in a nightclub. And Which is serious shit. Yeah, and you're like, you know, oh. You that, that could really ruin your night out. Yes. You know, especially if you're going to go in there to watch her pee. <laughs> <laughs> Easy there, Chuck Berry. Well, <laughs> he didn't have to go in. He had cameras. So. <laughs> but, uh, but like, that's the first scene where, like, oh, this is, you know, horrible and gruesome. And then, like, someone else gets killed. And just, like, the sheer amount of blood, you're like, this is ridiculous. And yeah. I love it. Yes. It's fully over the top. Yeah. In a way that, like, it isn't, like, turning to you in a, in a wink, you know, in a winking sort of way and being like, oh, aren't these sincere actors so fake? Like, yeah. You know, isn't this sincerity so so fake? But it's like, the characters believe it, even though it's ridiculous, and that's what sells it. It isn't like the stupid postmodern Whedon-esque horseshit. Yeah, because earlier we discussed... Where, um, like, you're patting your, the audience on the back and being like, hey, you've seen a movie. Well, this movie kind of had the advantage of coming out in 1992 before, you know, things had gotten played out to the ridiculous degree that they have. Yeah. Um, it's very much pre-Cabin in the Woods. Even though, again, these, um, you know, these cliches were so well-trodden by that time. Yeah. You know, hard-bitten detective, demonic monster, uh, buddy cop pairing. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't need to, like, explode the cliche. You don't need to completely issue it. You can just be like, I am going to just, uh, I'm going to shoot the moon with this cliche. Yeah. And I'm going to be so much more of that thing that just to even have anything after that would be like, it, it overshadows the cliche, and it just owns it. Now, I realize this is going to be a hard question, but what was your favorite part of the movie? I I, I like the sort of... Um, the the way that the, car- the, the two buddy cops sort of started working together. I think it's that scene where I'm like, okay, I get what kind of movie this is. Yeah. Where they're walking down the hallway getting, like getting shit from the police commissioner about, like, are you trying to, like, fight the devil or whatever? And they're like, yeah, we've got these miniguns to shoot the devil. Satan. <laughs> yeah, to shoot Satan. And it's like when they're sharing that cigar, where it's like, we're on the same page now. Yeah, and it's a wonderful shift for the characters when they move into working together instead of being antagonistic towards each other. Yeah. Um, it's those little bits of business, which clue you into their changing relationship and for me um and it doesn't I'm, feel like fake and it doesn't feel like postmodern. no it doesn't and for me um i'm a big fan of genre films i enjoy science fiction i like schlock i like cult films i really like the combination of the writing and the performances yeah which makes the characters in this film very vivid um, that to me makes the movie a true standout because it re- it could be kind of a, a funny gore fest, and there are plenty of movies like that. Yeah. Um, 
but the fact that there is some dimension to these characters and that they play off each other so well that um, their relationship grows and changes throughout the film, that to me is the real appeal. Yeah, you don't feel like you're just sort of like on the outside looking in going like, oh, these dumb characters don't know they're in a movie. It's like, oh, I like the way that they've become friends now. Yeah, or a lot of times, you know, you'll watch kind of a, you know, a dumb genre film. You're like, yeah, you know, that was that was that was a laugh. I enjoyed that. But it doesn't it doesn't stick with you in the same way. Now, with this film, there was a point where I turned to Tim and I said, I want to see action figures of these guys. Yeah. With their fucking miniguns. I would buy the shit out of that. Somebody needs to get on that. Yeah, the guy in, like, his, whatever, like his tan suit and his minigun. Yeah, his with, with rat blood on his shoulder. Yeah. And that, was a, <laughs> that was a thing, too, that shows, like, that sort of attention to detail, because earlier they're investigating a scene, and, like, Drew Carroll, like, pulls a gun on his partner, and he shoots, like, over his shoulder, and he, like explodes this like gnarly like sewer rat and like the rat's guts get on the guy's suit <laughs> and again it's like kind of like that sort of you know, you know sort of tropey thing where it's like oh sorry I ruined your suit you know this sort of thing it's like that sorry for the mess Han Solo yeah. line and like yeah that, that doesn't exactly land but like in this the next scene he's still got the rat gore on, on his shoulder yes. it's like that is a good like these people are taking this movie seriously yeah it's um there's a balance between taking it seriously, but not taking it too seriously. Not being serious, but they're taking it seriously. Yeah, and I don't think... I think it's plain that the critics didn't get that. Yeah. Um, one of the references in the Wikipedia article is to uh, rev uh, a Los Angeles Times review from the time, which basically describes the movie as a disaster. Which is bullshit. Yeah. I this mean, movie is a fucking triumph. Maybe maybe I could have spent more time explaining the, the occult symbolism, but it's like, you don't need to do that. I'm not reading a fucking Alan Moore comic book. I don't need footnotes. Yeah. I want to see these guys blow the shit out of Satan with their fucking miniguns. Yes. <laughs> I am 100% fine with that. Yeah. So it's... And looking at the um, YouTube comments, there's sort of a similar uh, uh, sentiment. Where there's like, yeah, this sounds like something from a role-playing game. And it does. It's the sort of thing where it's like, all bets are off. Do whatever you like. Like, we're gonna, we're just gonna have fun with this. And you do. Yeah, like, once the characters level up, it really takes off. Yeah. It's a sort of thing where it's like, okay, what killer could we, could we fight? Well, what's the worst killer you can imagine? How about the fucking devil? Yes. You know, oh my god, a tabletop game based on this would be the shit. Yeah, and it's like, what, you're gonna, like, shoot a regular, like, serial killer with your service revolver? That's boring. You're gonna <laughs> shoot the devil with a fucking machine gun. Yes. Man, I, I love that, I love that Rucker Howard can play Roy Batty. Yeah. And then he can play this character. Harley Stone or whatever. Yeah, because he's, um, I, I admit, I've haven't seen a lot of of Ricker Howard's films, and I feel like I need to rectify that. Because the guy, and, you know, don't get me wrong, I always admired him as an actor because, you know, I'm a huge fan of Blade Runner. Yeah. And his performance is incredible in that. He plays that role with such... It isn't just his physical presence, but... Yeah. You know, his just general aura, just this aura of menace and intelligence that's just palpable. He's, he's so good in Blade Runner, you know, as a lot of you know, he improvised his final speech. Yeah. Which 
Jesus Christ. Um, we saw we saw Blade Runner at AFI Film Fest at the ArcLight. Uh, Harrison Ford was there in person to introduce it, and when they got to Roy's speech, I was crying buckets. It's a beautiful speech because every time I see it, I cry buckets. Yeah, that's a, it's a really profound, deep movie it's yeah a very spiritual experience oh i'm getting verklempt right now uh, let's move on <laughs> all right well the the <laughs> feels thing, the takeaway from that is that rooker hauer and the rest of the cast put in the work to realize these characters yeah i and and i mean it, you could <clears throat> say and i mean i i don't know enough about his work i mean i know that he did a couple of episodes of lex which is a sci-fi show really also like yes he was on fucking lex yeah it that's was, hilarious yeah the first season it was goofy and what? i hmm? sorry go ahead and i feel like rugger hour will take odd roles goofy roles like ones that are just a little oddball well and you know what you know what i have to say about that is that and what i admire about him having seen this film mm -hmm. is you know obviously i don't necessarily judge an actor for taking movies that are a little shellacky or a little shitty. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's wrong as an actor to want to work. It would be nice if we could all be, like, really picky about what we do. But an actor's got to eat. And, you yeah. know, integrity is not always a part of that. He's like, I really need to do this shit film because I got bills to pay. Right. That's fine. Um, but actors approach differently. And there are a lot of times when you'll see an actor in a role... And they kind of consider it beneath them, mm -hmm. or maybe they know they're like, I know this movie's shit. Yeah, I don't really give a shit. Oh, you mean like Johnny Depp? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that that's a guy who definitely doesn't need to work. Yeah. Huh. Um, <laughs> um, the difference between those actors and Rooker Hauer in this film is that you can tell that he's a hundred percent on board. Yeah, he gives now, the character the dignity that it deserves. Exactly, because I could see reading the script and maybe being like, even if you get it, you're like, this is kind of silly. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Like, He's like, no, no, no. I get the humor of this film in this role. Yeah. And I'm going to go for the gusto. Yeah, or it's like, or it could be, he may have even seen that it's like, if you play this straight and if you play this very somberly and very seriously... <laughs> people are just going to laugh at you. But if you if you own it, yeah. and if, you, if you're if you in on it, <coughs> no one can laugh at you. They can only laugh with you. Yeah. And he, he is committed to this in a way that that brings it its own dignity, such as like... And it, it is, I think it is a thing that has been lost. I mean, especially if you're thinking about like, you know, sort of you know joe whedon sort of uh postmodern like oh here's like you know these are the stupid characters that are going to die and like i know because i'm i'm super smart because i saw a movie once where this happened but it's but it's like you don't get that sort of um uh like you know cool kid uh distance from it where you know you're able to just laugh at these characters i don't think you are i think that you respect these characters on their own terms because the actors respected these characters yeah, and um, honestly, I think that his character is is worthy a cult figure as um, Snake Plissken. Yes, or 
just to grab another Kurt Russell role. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember his name in Big Trouble. Jack Burton. Trying to... Thank you, Jack Burton. Um, but yeah, like Snake Plissken is another where it's like you can you can laugh at it because it's like it's a small budget sort of like offbeat sci-fi thing but it's like no we are committed to this and it may be goofy and it may be off the beaten path but we are committed to this idea and we are going to make it work and they do yeah and again um you know the like we were saying earlier how the movie is definitely of a kind with um some of those john carpenter films like yeah. trouble with china you know escape from new york is a good example um mm-hmm. my own experience with those films is i hadn't seen them until i think um you know post-college but the way that i first saw um, Escape from New York and Big Trouble Little China was as a double bill at yeah. the Egyptian Theater with John Carpenter in person. So I grew up in the elder times when in order to find out what movies were going to be on TV in the coming week you had to look at the little guide that came with the newspaper and they would list every single movie that was going to be on TV and they would usually have like a star rating. And you, I would always see Big Trouble in Little China because it played on cable a lot, and it would always have a rating of one star. So you see that, and you're like, oh, this, that movie must suck. No. So it does not <laughs> suck. You know, as a lot of you probably know, that movie is awesome. It's a great film. And I first saw it at a double feature with John Carpenter introducing the film, which I think primed me perfectly for the type of film that it was going to be. Yeah, so I saw it, and I had a blast. I know that a lot of people prefer their their drinks and their science fiction straight up. Mm, mm. I don't mind a little genre mixing. I love Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. I love Big Trouble in Little China. I really enjoyed Escape from New York when I saw it. That was a fun ride. Yeah. This movie's a fun ride. Yeah. And it's and like the Wikipedia article said, like it was met with criticism or whatever. Yeah, but, by people with no souls. But yeah, obviously. But it's yeah, it's the same people who give um, who pan Hudson Hawk and who give Big Trouble in Little China one star is yes. because it, it isn't just a thriller and it isn't just a sci-fi movie and it isn't just a buddy cop comedy. It has all those things. Yes. And it is great. Yes. It's greater than the sum of its parts. And mm-hmm. that's... They took what could have been a an independent, small-budget Blade Runner alien also ran and they turned it into this sort of like balls to the wall just sort of a uh, movie with with more character than you think it, it would have in a way that is totally enjoyable yeah we had a blast watching this uh definitely seek it out it's on youtube if you can stomach watching films on youtube no, um, i'm glad comments. that it's at least out there i don't know if it actually has had like a legitimate release in the u.s um, somebody needs to fucking get on that. Yeah. Anchor Bay. Hello? <laughs> somebody tell Hadrian at the Cine family that they gotta screen this shit. Yeah. So I'm gonna put it on best of the worst, because that would hands down be the best. Yes. Yes.